Welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Michael Neal, and I work at a school in Tennessee called Vanderbilt University. It's basically my job to learn with and from some of the most thoughtful, ambitious, and impactful individuals who have come through Vanderbilt's leadership and learning in organizations doctoral program. Before earning a doctorate, these leaders partner with an organization, conduct a research project in that organization, and offer evidence-based recommendations that make a positive impact. We call this a capstone project. This is a show about how some of the most dynamic capstones were constructed and carried out, and the particular pivot points that made the project, but could have broken it. It felt like a blow, but in the end, it was probably a minor setback or even a, um, you know, a gift in disguise, right? Like, you ultimately want and hope to find an organization that is as invested in your project as you are invested in in their organization, and it takes a level of discovery. Today we hear from Dr. Alex Yu, who partnered with an LGBTQ plus advocacy organization in Colorado called One Colorado. Alex's project focused on supporting the sustainable fundraising for One Colorado. And in this interview, Alex discusses the ways he navigated the early relationship with One Colorado and how, over time, he clarified the problem at the center of the Capstone Project. Let's get to the interview. My name is Alex Yu, and I am the Customer Success Programs Director at a company called Lattice. Alex, so great to have you. Thank you so much for being willing to uh, to talk to us. Of course. Thanks for having me. So talk to me a little bit about, like, step back and talk to me about, uh, what, gosh, six years ago, seven years? At some point, you decided you wanted to do a doctorate. And, and so, like, when you came to the Capstone uh, process, you, you end up finding this organization, One Colorado. And I, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about One Colorado itself, mm-hmm. but also about how you got connected with One Colorado. Sure. So One Colorado is uh, the state's leading advocacy organization advancing equality for LGBTQ plus Coloradans and their families. And they primarily work across three major areas. Uh, They help fund uh, uh, legislation or or policy in terms of um, helping either lobby or provide funding for candidates that support equality across the state. They also provide uh, programming for education, specifically in terms of uh, GSA, which is a gay-straight alliance program uh, that helps combat bullying and harassment across schools. Um, And then in terms of public health, they also fund research in educating health administrators in the changing gay and transgender healthcare needs. And so I found their work really, really fascinating. how I got to them was... Were you were you living in Colorado at the time? So I had just moved to Denver from uh, Los Angeles. And okay. one thing that I really wanted to, to gain out of this experience was to find a local organization. So it helped to actually filter that out a little bit first. Um, knowing I wanted something local was great. Uh, the next filter that I applied in my search was really wanting to experience uh, the world of nonprofits. I know that these are types of organizations that can really use pro bono help from from researchers and people who just want to, you know, provide. And I thought it was it would be neater to spend my time with nonprofits, not only for their sake, but also, you know, this is an area that I had never 
um, experience before. I've only worked for for-profit organizations, and I really wanted to uh, take away some personal insight. What if I wanted to be a part of a nonprofit organization in the future? What better way than to volunteer a, a large amount of my time and gain kind of an internship and hit you know two three birds with one stone? Um, so. I, I knew I wanted something along the lines of nonprofit in Denver. I started searching. I sent out a ton of LinkedIn messages, emails. I showed up to events uh, that I found on meetups and just tried to connect with different people. Um, I ended up connecting with a organization called The Center on Colfax, which was an LGBTQ uh, organization. And I myself identify uh, as a gay male. And I, um, I started conversations with them. They ended up having a switch in leadership and wasn't ready to uh, advance with the project, but connected me with two other organizations, one of which was One Colorado, which actually happened to be right across the street. And uh, I connected with them, sent them an email, they expressed interest, and we started having discovery conversations from there. And when you encountered that first kind of like, you, you sort of thought you had it, you thought you might have had it nailed down and then they came back and yeah. they were like, I don't think it was going to work out. Was that, what was that like for you? And uh, that, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, it felt like a blow, but in the end it was probably a minor setback or even a, um, you know, a gift in disguise, right? Like you ultimately want and hope to find an organization that is as invested in your project as you are invested in in their organization. And it takes a level of discovery. And a piece of advice that I would have to say for students moving forward is um, it might feel daunting to approach people, cold call, send emails, um, feel like you need something from them. But ultimately, they're going to gain a lot from your work and you have value to add to the organization. So feel free to be picky as well, right? Don't say yes to the first organization that says yes to you. Um, it will feel like a job interview and uh, it's <laughs> a matchmaking effort. And you should feel inclined to say thanks, but no thanks as well if it just doesn't feel right, because you're going to end up spending a lot of time with these people and you want that to uh, feel like time well spent yourself. And so you found you found you found one Colorado eventually, mm -hmm. and uh, and tell me about kind of the early some of that early conversation around deciding if you wanted them, they wanted you, and also getting a sense for like what what are the challenges or the problems or the issues they're dealing with. What, what was that like? You know. I, as a doctoral student, I still felt very much in the learner mentality, right? Like I'm here, I'm exploring, I'm still in classes, learning, you know, every Tuesday, Thursday, what I want to be doing, how do I collect the right research, um, then going to my partner and, and pitching ideas. Um, One Colorado, I believe, had just passed or was about to pass their 10-year mark as, in, as a nonprofit, but they were feel, still fairly small, um, you know, grassroots effort, uh, less than, you know, eight people uh, full-time employed at the organization. And so they were very open to any and all ideas. I still remember mm -hmm. sitting in with the executive director and we just sat there for maybe 90 minutes, just like coming up with ideas, 
me pitching different things. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about business operations. How is your how are your costs of doing business? He talked to me about how he was trying to get out of his lease for this office, and this was pre-COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, maybe one opportunity is to like find ways to just lower your costs, and that's a mm-hmm. great way of helping the organization out. Uh, we talked a little bit about staffing, you know, whether or not um, we could help with their temporary staff, which they employed to help in different fundraising cycles, or mm-hmm. ways that I can maybe use some organizational development um, and help make their team a fit more efficient via trainings. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about the fact that they didn't really have a lot of reserves and uh, that was an area of interest for me in terms of the research, talking about recession economies, which actually mm-hmm. is quite appropriate nowadays um, oh, in right, 2022. Yeah. Uh, the idea of taking risks and whether or not um, they would have the reserves to do so. And then yeah. we ultimately landed somewhere in the idea of like their funding and talking about grants versus um, donations. And then in terms of donations, whether it was important to focus on generating new leads or helping them with their um, their customer relationship manager tool uh, in terms of managing their leads and gaining better uh, donors, um, talking about legacy and or estate gifts, which was kind of new and hip in the moment, uh, getting, getting mm-hmm. nonprofits into wills and... Mm-hmm. Um, and then we landed on current donors, and that's kind of where most of my uh, project was focusing on because we knew that there was a group of donors that had given once upon a time. There was a good data set of people that I could work off of and start engaging with that they gave me the approval for. Um, and it was really interesting to do research on recurring donations. There's a huge... Um, uh, set of literature on this area. And I thought that by providing some of this research and I would actually have better findings and better recommendations for them. And so I think the entire process took probably six weeks to just nail down um, a topic. And this was after uh, some time observing, discovering the organization, doing some informational interviews. Uh, And this was probably all in all, three months after we had kind of agreed that we'd be working together. Okay, and and so you end up you end up with this focus on recurring donors, and and what was it that you wanted to know about these recurring donors or the process of recurring donation? Yeah, so the first piece was for me to just learn more about nonprofits and recurring donations in general. Uh, how yeah. how big is this? piece of the pie in terms of um, where one Colorado was versus kind of industry standard. Um, The next is then to understand from the the donors who have donated uh, why they weren't donating again and whether or not that they would be interested in having a monthly or annual donation uh, because they were expending a lot of energy trying to get new donations over and over again. So uh, that was particularly helpful for the organization. Um, And I think part of it is just, you know, relationship management was something that I had been doing in my in my day job. And it was something Mm. that I found could really help in understanding 
what are the tactics in which you engage with people? Um, how do you increase communications or your relationships with people uh, as they as they feel and interact with an organization? And how do you mm. leverage that in order to do what's best for your organization while actually making it feel like you're nurturing a relationship with somebody who might otherwise feel just like you were they were used once upon a time mm-hmm. for fifty dollars, a hundred bucks, and then you mm-hmm. lost sight of them, um, you know, six months later. I really took a, a consultative approach. I, I wanted to pretend like I was a high-end consultant from a top four, mm-hmm. you know, company, and I'm coming in and saying like, I can solve any of your problems. What problem do you want me to solve first? Sort of, mm-hmm. and providing mm-hmm. just like two articles and like three talking points of what you learned so that you could really help guide the conversation, right? So, you know, when I mentioned, like, we talked a lot about, like, improving grant writing or recession economies, I had a couple of articles lined up that I could say, Mm -hmm. this was really impactful for these types of organizations when the economy took a nosedive in 2008. Do you think that's applicable? Is that something Mm -hmm. you want to um, talk about? And it really helped guide the conversation as well. And, you know, something that I think um, I I give a lot of advice to either prospective students or current students in the program. And something that I share is make yourself valuable as soon as possible. The earlier you can show that value to the organization, the tighter your relationship will be. And the more they're going to be able and willing to give you the resources in which um, you'll need in order to have a successful project whether or not those resources are their time, their data, or, uh, you know, just their, their, their own set of research that they've done as, mm-hmm. as a part of their organization. So um, I found that as a great way of cementing with the executive director. Hey, I know what I'm talking about, even though mm-hmm. secretly I was still feeling like a <laughs> learner. Um, and then we, 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 we hit it off from there and I was able to really cement the idea of how are we looking at recurring donations in a really uh, um, structured way. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, like, a few minutes ago you mentioned just um, a sense of, like, hey, you know, I'm, I was a graduate student. I was still learning. Like, in, in some ways I don't feel like – I might, might have not felt like I was ready for this. But then the – kind of commitment and the confidence to go in there and, and be like, I'm going to create value for you. Can you talk about like, if there was a, if there was a tension there, how you manage that? I, a lot of people, when they do graduate work, end up having these feelings of like, I'm an imposter mm-hmm. or I don't know if I can really do this, you know? And as you say, though, the organization is looking for somebody to actually come and do something for them. So what was that like if there was a tension there? Yeah, I think first and foremost, the tension is internal. Right. So imposter syndrome, um, feeling like you don't know everything, um, feeling like you're, you're, uh, you know, biting off more than you can chew, especially as you're thinking of, whoa, how many pages does this need to be? And, and when is my (laughs) deadline? And okay, well, I'm balancing everything else in my life as well. Um, and if you can get over that hurdle, which for me, I think is just being upfront and honest, um, setting the right expectations up front. Uh, uh, in my introductory email, I strictly say, I am a student, I am learning, but here are the great things that I'm expecting to learn as well. And, and mm-hmm. that this can actually 
be really beneficial uh, to your organization, even if I'm, uh, you know, in a graduate degree. Uh, the next thing truly is your network, right? So being a part of Peabody means that you have access to world-class faculty. You have access to alumni that are more than willing to provide um, their experiences and their insight to help guide you through this process. And it's self-discovery, but you're going to actually almost everybody was in in awe of the work that they ended up producing during the capstone and it was because you know it's a lot of work but we pour our hearts and souls into it and the end result is something really great and so you know don't don't talk down to yourself at all like it's actually always good to be in a learner mentality i ha might have a doctor designation but i still feel like a learner and that's a really mm. good thing to continue to have with you for the rest of your life. Um, mm. So start internal, address it yourself, you know, uh, talk to other students, talk to faculty members, talk to friends and family, um, really feel confident that you can make a difference even if you're a student, and then really setting the expectation that, hey, I'm a student, but I have all these resources ahead of me um, and with me that make it uh, so that like, I, you're, you're not talking to one student, you're talking to a community that can help with this process. And what I'm going to turn out is going to be really helpful for you in the long run. Yeah, right on. And, and, and you know, student is like, uh, you know, yeah, you were a student, but you were also somebody who had already had a lot of experience in, you know, a range of sectors. You know, it's not like you were, you know, some kid out of high school or something. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, like, you, you started getting your head around this this, you know, whether you called it a problem or an issue that they were having, um, what did you decide to do in terms of what data you needed to to really investigate the um, the problem yeah. as you understood it? Uh, I felt really lucky that they already had a donor pool that they allowed me to tap into. So mm -hmm. I had a sample size of... Uh, over 500 people that I believe is like 566 past donors that they felt comfortable mm -hmm. with me reaching out to. They excluded certain segments and populations that they wanted to either like the high-end donors or people that hadn't donated in three or more years. So we really mm -hmm. narrowed it down to a, a bit of that. I, and I was able to collect data from them. Uh, we created a survey, which I had signed off by both my capstone professor as well as the organization. And we grouped together some questions that were largely discovery at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, having certain hypotheses, but really trying not to um, corner any of the respondents into answering it the way that we wanted them to, but mm -hmm. really just trying to seek information. And a lot of our findings were really interesting because we left it open-ended, which I was mm -hmm. worried about. Like I And was it open-ended in the sense that they had to write in something, or was it open-ended in the sense... Yeah, go ahead. Um, so it was open-ended in that I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I I, we actually had some limitations with my surveying platform, which kept us to 10 survey questions, um, which then mm. I found research that it's actually really good to keep them short. And, be good. you know, so right. justifying a couple of things there. Um, but some of the findings that we ended up looking into were 
we had made assumptions, and even the organization had made assumptions. Anybody who supports LGBTQ plus rights, um, whether or not they were uh, queer identifying on the spectrum or an ally, uh, were kind of donating for the same general cause. And the findings were actually wildly different based on mm. whether or not they identified as a ally or as queer. And I'm using queer loosely to just say LGBTQIA+. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was really fascinating. And, and at first I was like, you know, it'd be interesting to understand the demographics, but I'm really more interested in the behavior. And we kind of were able to split things up into kind of uh, a third, a third, a third. One third was about like who you are and um, what do you identify as? One third was like behavioral and why you why you identified uh, as a donor and why you want to give and what you're hoping to get out of it. And then one Colorado actually was hoping to just insert like a couple of their own questions as well, um, which I just found helpful as like a value add for them, right? Like anytime I could make it easy for them to operate, I was doing the organization a favor. And in the nonprofit space, like anytime they can survey, one less survey is probably better for their constituents. Um, and anything that you can do uh, to to give back to the organization was was beneficial in general. Okay, and so you end up with well, let me ask you this: when you look back on like on the survey and what you did, uh, did you do you feel like? Uh, I wish there, like, there's. I wish I had done something a little different. Or was it like that? Actually, like, it sounds like it really got you the data you needed. Even in some case, even you didn't even know you needed mm-hmm. what what came in. Is am I hearing that right? Yeah. So uh, what really helped was um, looking at the survey methods of in in some of the research that I did. Um, mm-hmm. and, and actually cherry picking out, you're talking about like some of the literature that you reviewed. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. even okay. though I felt limited with my 10 questions and I needed to add in two from one Colorado mm-hmm. and then, you know, we had the demographic ones, which I felt like were mm-hmm. important, but I felt like I wasn't getting to the meat of the matter in, in some of my questions. What helped was that each one of the questions, there were kind of sub questions to it that I was able to parse out like differences in giving and donor motivation. And I Mm -hmm. directly took that from other research that I would have never come up with on my own. So one Mm -hmm. of the questions was, um, you know, rate uh, on a scale of one to five, these different statements in in your motivation for giving. And I found this really interesting because it was actually a, um, you know, almost a mistake that I found this article because it was about donating blood and it had nothing to do with uh, donating money and charitable giving. But the questions in the survey that they asked were things like, <clears throat> um, I donate because I feel compassion towards those that receive it, or I donate blood towards organizations uh, because it is important to my partner or significant other, or I donate mm. blood because no, if I don't, nobody else will. And I just reworked mm. those questions to just specify towards this organization. And, and that allowed me to have a spectrum of insights that I would have never looked at, right? Mm. And so it was helpful to have limitations, but open myself up to just being... Um, interested in things that would have totally steered me in a different direction 
because of other survey methods that other researchers have done. And it really helped uh, ultimately with my findings. Let's take a short break. When we come back, Alex will describe his recommendations and what is happening at One Colorado now. Welcome back. I'm Michael Neal, and this is Pivot Point. Let's get back to my interview with Alex Yu. Can you just take us through uh, what what you learned, what you found? Sure. Um, so I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the first finding that uh, was quite a surprise to both myself and the organization was that um, those that identified as queer versus those that identified as ally uh, donated for really different reasons and were hmm. interested in donating to One Colorado to fund different types of programs. So, And why was that a, su- why was that a surprise? Um, partly because mostly when you have like a, a pride march or when they have events, like they kind of lumped them together, right? As uh-huh. just like you're interested in furthering equality for those that identify as queer, right? Or yeah, right. A, and and really just saying, hey, like we're all here for the same cause. Like all of this uh-huh. is important work, so let's just do it and try and do it all. Whereas, yep. you know, those that identified as um, LGBTQ plus were really focused in on the political priorities and the civic engagement uh, mm. of of the organization. Whereas those that identified as ally were primarily there to focus on safe schools. And what we Mm. then realized was that mostly the ally population of donors were donating because they were donating on behalf of their children who Mm. might have been bullied was one hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Now, um, we're going to take it one level further. When I started doing uh, um, qualitative research and actually interviewing a couple of the ally uh, donors, not not actually the reason. It was that they were bullied in school as well. And so, you know, we just kept uncovering and peeling back the layers, which is one of the, the most uh, fascinating and um, really fun parts of this process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, when I think back to my capstone, I think of like the mountain of literature review and then the final presentation. But then ultimately, mm-hmm. like in between, it was so neat to like take this data, hypothesize, ask questions, and like prove myself wrong. And then, and, <laughs> yeah, right? and like use that in the findings. Um, and as, even as I'm saying it right now, I'm smiling because who would have who known? I definitely didn't think so. And it, it's always fun to prove yourself wrong. And so you set it up in a way where you, you sent the survey you got your you got your data back and and then you were able to design an interview protocol to explore some of that is that is that the way you set it up yeah so um i did a sequential explanatory mixed methods approach so i had the initial uh quantitative data collection sent to 566 people i think i got uh 58 responses back so it was about like Uh, a quarter uh, response rate. Um, Then we started analyzing this data 
And in the survey itself, I also asked if those uh, would be, uh, of those who responded, would you be interested in an interview? I set the tone Mm -hmm. for that. Um, Luckily, I had already planned on doing Zoom interviews um, because Mm -hmm. that was right when COVID hit in March of 2020. Um, And so of the 13 that agreed to do the interviews, a lot, everybody had a lot going on at that point. So I only ended up interviewing six. Uh, and that led to uh, just under four hours of interviews and coding and ended up getting uh, a good mixture of both uh, quantitative data points as well as some qualitative insights, which I then used to do my recommendations. And one thing that, I, the one thing that emerged obviously from the interviews is this basically that you you disproved the initial hypothesis that came out of the survey. Yeah. And there were two sets of hypotheses, right? Like one after the quantitative and then one after the qualitative to either confirm or deny like my, my hypotheses. And it was really nice doing, doing sequential explanatory just because I, I knew in general what I was looking for, but really then using the data for those specific individuals and asking follow-up questions for them allowed me to dig a lot deeper than if I did it the other way around. Right. Now that completely makes sense. Yeah. Beyond the differences for these two sets of uh, uh, donors, we found that um, storytelling significantly impacted donors' contribution. So uh, I had found a framework in my... um, in my research called Relationship Management Theory uh, by Kelly. And uh, Kelly laid out four different areas of relationship management. There's reciprocity, responsibility, relationship nurturing, and reporting. And reciprocity is essentially like demonstrating gratitude for the donation. Responsibility is talking about um, are you using that donation in a socially responsible manner? Um, relationship nurturing is ongoing communication and uh, with the donor and relationship building. And then reporting is keeping them informed about the developments related to the cause. And using that, I was actually able to integrate one question into the survey just about like what makes a difference to you. And we found that um, the donors really wanted to make sure that like there was significant amounts of storytelling and and that was based primarily from the reporting aspect are we reporting out the great work that we're doing are we using our student voices from the gsa program um and that actually led to a a recommendation as well and the last finding that we had uh was that the executive director really influences donations in a major way So in the six qualitative interviews that I had, almost all of them said, if it weren't for Daniel, the executive director, they probably wouldn't be donating the way that they did. And uh, that was actually really problematic at the very end of this capstone because we had just found out Daniel was leaving. Um, (laughs) Right. I remember this. And so uh, it it was was such an interesting development that it Mm. actually ended up being a very specific recommendation that I think helped them find their next executive director. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, you've stayed in touch with with One Colorado. Do you have a sense of like what 
is happening there in terms of either your recommendations or other efforts they've taken um, since you were officially working with them on the project? Yeah. So I would say they've really invested their time in uh, my second finding, which was about storytelling. And I can see in their um, the communications to their donors. I'm also a donor, donor myself. Um, just the level in which they've invested in it. They've also hired a marketing person to uh, really create a lot of this uh, uh, collateral. And mm-hmm. I, I find it really impactful as a donor myself. So my recommendations were to better utilize um, the storytelling uh, to increase recurring donations. Um, they could do so by uh, working with the... Uh, like cultivating stories on individuals, focusing on the collective program interests. And so Mm. almost everybody was really uh, focused on LGBTQ youth uh, and health equality, as well as the uh, political priorities. And so I'm seeing Mm. a lot more of their articles, their engagement on social media focused on those three areas. And Mm. um, I think they're able to then generate more to still pass uh, the money around to, to make improvements across all of the programs, but really focusing on the ones that people feel like they're they're giving to. Gotcha. That's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, that, that's really fun that you're getting to follow the work, um, you know, and really still be plugged in in yeah. a way that you're you're contributing in the sector both financially and with your time. And it's um, it's really neat. And I literally would not have done this without this capstone. So I feel grateful to have gone through this process myself. Well, anything, I mean, people can go read their pa- read, read the paper, obviously. Um, anything that we haven't talked about that is like worth mentioning in terms of um, complexities or things about the project that don't come through in the paper? Yeah, I would say the last thing that I would say, um, there's so much focus here on data and structure and frameworks. And you sometimes forget that people are, uh, you know, people are are the messy part of all types of research as well, <laughs> right? And so I highly, highly recommend incorporating uh, some sort of, of qualitative review, even, even if it's just for you to learn more, um, to, to do some qualitative uh, interviewing, learning, um, asking questions. It, it'll give you a lot of information as you go through this, just to inform how you want your project to, to go uh, at, towards the, at the end. Um, but I would say in terms of complexities, like, uh, you know, working. Hey, let me ask you, Alex, are you, are you recommending that because it's like, it gives you FaceTime with people in a way that if you're just dealing with their documents and their numbers, you're, you're never going to get the real story on what's going on here. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I would love people to listen to this podcast because if you read the paper, it, you're going to think, oh, you're going to think whatever you're going to think. I, I can't tell you how you're going <laughs> to perceive the paper, but I can share, you know, the stories behind it, right? I can share the yeah. why. I can share, right. um, you know, I wasn't super happy initially with um, the survey, but I felt like I needed to get something out there. And I ended up being ecstatic yeah. because I took this time to yeah. to grab other research and put it in. And in retrospect, mm-hmm. it worked out really well. And I think 
-hmm. A lot of times for students, if they're just looking at the presentation or the paper, they're not going to get the retrospective. And I think that's mm -hmm. almost even more important before you start or while you're going through the capstone, because you can tell that we're all human, we're all students, you're also working mm -hmm. with other humans who have other priorities. And in the end, <laughs> right. like what comes out of it hopefully is a really polished, amazing piece of literature that will move research ahead. Um, and if it looks that way, that's great, but there's probably a great story behind it as well. And I think um, really digging into that can be helpful. Yeah. One way of doing that uh, just is by interviewing interviewing either your stakeholders or interviewing uh, the, your constituents that you might want to include in your research. It's a really fun part of this process. That's great stuff. And thank you for making time to, to talk with us. Thank you for your excellent work and, and your investment in this, uh, in this work. Sure. Thank you for having me and uh, open invite for uh, students. If you have any additional questions, feel free to um, find a way to find me. And I'm more, more than happy to answer any questions. So what can we take away from Alex's description of his capstone work? I find myself noticing the way he navigated the relationship with the partner organization, especially in these early stages, with considerable care, a commitment to add value to the organization. That careful attention was especially evident as Alex and his organization partners went back and forth in crafting a problem worth investigating. Thanks for listening to Pivot Point. I'm Michael Neal. A huge thank you to the guests who make this show something worth listening to. Thanks to Peter Shellman for editing, mixing, and tech support. This podcast was made possible in part by a grant from Peabody College Dean's Office, for which I'm certainly grateful. Thanks also to the Capstone Partner Organizations, the hardworking Capstone Advisors, and Program Director Eve Rifkin, all of whom make these projects happen. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to like, review, and share this podcast because that's the way other people are going to find it. All right. I'll see you next time, folks. Yeah.